Welcome to Paddy Talks, brought to you thanks to Seed Golf Balls, who deliver you affordable tour performance, same performance, half the price. Check them out at www.seedgolf.com and try them today. Thank you for pressing play. On today's show, we have one of the world's most renowned golfing photographers in Evan Schiller. But first, roll it there, Roisin. I mean, listen, we're talking about practice. Joe Bradley told us the production line was finished in Kerry. Well, Joe Bradley, what did he get at? Thank you for pressing play. Welcome to the show. To give some context on today's guest, I have a monologue of an introduction so you can stick the kettle on as this will take a minute. On today's show, we have a gentleman who has photographed hundreds of championship golf courses, left his own distinctive mark and perhaps some divots on some of the most recognized tracks around the world, from Pebble Beach, Augusta National Golf Club, Royal County Down, Bandon Dews, the list goes on. His photography shoots have taken him around the world. The US, Canada, Mexico, to the Caribbean, Ireland, Scotland, Japan, South Africa. I did say he was well-traveled. And he published his own award-winning calendar, Golf Shots. I'll be picking up the 2020 edition when it comes onto the website. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Evan Schiller. Thanks for having me. So how are you doing? I'm doing great. Hey, I'm in Ireland. <laughs> and just on that, given my limited vocabulary, right, can you describe to any people listening the surroundings that we're in now? Yeah, well, for years, Coming here, I've driven by this place and always admired it. I'd never been here. This is the first time we've stayed here. Uh, you have the river right outside your window. I, I think it's the Finglass River that runs right into the to the bay here. You've got the mountains right up you know, out the window to our back. Uh, Hogshead Golf Club is right up the hill. Waterville's right down the road. The bay is right behind us here. It's, you know, in, I don't know, 50 steps. It's this beautiful old house that they've turned into this wonderful inn and it's it's beautiful it's it's idyllic really it is i i, I got the tour from christine here and um, it's actually one boutique hotel of the of the year yeah um we are in the sitting room i think it's the only sitting room i've been in where there isn't a tv and it's actually quite um refreshing it's quiet it's <laughs> nice it's perfect for a podcast, everybody. Exactly. There is a lounge upstairs uh, where I was watching Ireland cutting it tight with Japan in the World mm -hmm. Cup. So hopefully they do it. Um, this will go out afterwards, so hopefully we'll be celebrating. <laughs> um, but the views from there are, are ridiculously good, like the bay you mentioned. And, oh, and they have this, I guess it's a sitting room upstairs. You know, they, they do have a TV in there. Yes. But the views are fabulous. And yesterday we got to take a look at some of the rooms. I actually took some photos for Christine of some of these rooms, and they are spectacular and they're brilliant yeah, so I, I couldn't find Waterville House on Instagram but they might be on pretty soon if you were taking the photos yeah. so yeah anyone who's listening who is into golf or into bringing their wives or girlfriends away for the weekend this is definitely a place to do it and um, if you play golf you can let your wife go, maybe go for a walk and there is a fully functional range 10 feet away that's part of Waterville House um, 100 yard short game area full putting green so you don't even need to go to Hogshead or Waterville if you don't want to. Yeah, and fishing in the river. Salmon. Yes. There's salmon in the yeah, river. Yeah, Mark O'Meara has fished in this river. Um, who else Woods. is on the... Tiger Woods, Payne Stewart, they've all been here and all that history is on the walls here as well. So even worth the visit just to see the walls, if you ask me. Okay, so firstly, we'll get into behind the lens for a bit. For once, you're always behind the lens. 
uh, and learn a bit more about Evan Schiller. So firstly, like, where, where are you from, Evan? Uh, Connecticut. Um, yeah, I've grown up in the North. I grew up in New York and Westchester area and moved to Connecticut about 20 years ago. And so that's home base when I'm not on the road. Which is not home much then. Yeah, no, it's a lot. Uh, and what was it like? So it was originally Westchester. So what was it like growing up there? When did you start picking up a golf club? Uh, my father played a lot. He introduced me to the game. I play. I probably started playing when I was four. He would take me to the range and then eventually to the golf course. He gave me my first lessons. Uh, and then I got some lessons from some other some other people. Uh, I played golf in played golf in high school and college. Then I turned professional. Played tournament golf for a while. And how I got into photography is I was going to all these wonderful places. Well, I was walking down a fairway PJ West one day out in California, and just thought to myself, "Wow, this is such a beautiful scene. Let's just start bringing a camera." So I started bringing a camera with me on some of these trips. And you know, one thing led to another. I eventually worked at a couple of clubs as an assistant pro. One of my buddies there said, "You know, you should take some of these photos and put them in the pro shop and sell them." I thought that was pretty funny because I just didn't think they were very good. Anyway, he convinced me, and I did. And lo and behold, a couple of them sold, and then that was kind of that was the beginning of it. Very good. So you've taken away a couple of my questions, but it wasn't. It, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it, it wasn't just, you weren't just like any old professional, right? So you played in the US Open? Yep. Which one? Shinnecock in 86. Okay, okay. So it wasn't just, you know, I'm turning, not that it's easy or anything, and I'm doing a PGA, do a bit of lessons. So were you on tour for a while? Was it qualification for the US Open? I or? never had my tour card in the United States. I played uh, some of the secondary tour. I played what is now the web, the web.com tour. It was in its infancy with some other tours. It was called the Nike tour back then, which I think eventually evolved into the web.com tour. I played mini tours in Florida. I played in Canada, played in South Africa, played a little bit over here on the Challenge Tour. Uh, so yeah, I played around. And then you picked up a camera, and that's a brilliant story as to why you picked it up. I suppose, how would you see your approach to photography when you initially picked up, I believe it was a Minolta yep. camera. Yep. So how would you describe your approach to photography from then to now? Wow. Um, I didn't say it was going to be easy. No. <laughs> I, I, I would go take pictures of photos. And... You know, it was film, an event. It was it was slide film, or actually it was negative film back then, because I didn't know any difference. You know, my my mother got me this Minolta camera, and I would take some photos, and I would get them back and look at them. That doesn't look like what I <laughs> I envisioned, and I was always curious about that. Uh, I never actually took a photography class. I talked to some photographers, and eventually just figured out started to figure out why is my what I'm looking at that I took not look like the scene I saw. So I just got curious about that and did some investigating and figured out what, you know, what made a difference in taking a photo. So, you know, if I compare what I do now to what then, well, the whole medium has changed. There was no such thing as digital when I started and you didn't have the advanced uh, editing tools that you do now, like Lightroom or Photoshop. So, you know, even if your photo is a little bit off now, you can adjust it much better than you could back then. But I, I would take photos. I didn't really know what I was doing. You know, I, it was kind of a learned thing along the way. 
Yeah, like these days you can take away the entire background and put something else in if you watch the right YouTube video yeah. on how to do it. Yeah. You're an official licensed photographer for Pebble Beach Company, Mr. Palmer's Company, and Bandon Dunes Golf Resort. Can you describe what those roles entail or or what projects you may fulfill for those great companies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's essentially, there's a handful with of licensed photographers for Pebble Beach. I'm not sure what it is for Bandon Dunes. I think it's something that just started. Um, I gives me permission to go take photos of Pebble, of Pebble Beach uh, when I want to, assuming there's nothing else going on like the AT&T or some other event. Um, I pay them a, a royalty every year. And then for that, I get the permission to go take the photos. It gives me permission to sell them, you know, via my website, prints, whatever, to other entities, publications, things like that. And so you can't go, you can't photograph Pebble Beach unless you are one of the licensed photographers or you're on some special project. You know, you're like you're working for the USGA or some big event they have there, like the concourse, uh, things like that. Very good. And they also get, they use my photos for a lot of their marketing, their website, special projects, things like that. From your Instagram feed, which I've been following with a couple of years, if you watched pre or if you watched, if you listened to previous podcasts, you'd know I'm quite the stalker on social media. If you talk to Tom Kennedy, that was <laughs> 10 years worth. So for you, it's only two. So <laughs> follow um, a few other photographers online. So Christian Hafer does great work. Uh, Oli Negriero, Stuart Kerr, but they're much more product or indeed sports based photographers. So they would be the people going to Pebble Beach for the AT&T. Right. Did you ever do a bit of that form of photography? You're very exclusively landscape-based, from what I can see. Yeah, I have. I've um, I've photographed you know a handful of tournaments. I was uh, went to the Masters. So I think it was six years in a row. I was hired by Augusta, well, Golf Digest and Augusta National, because Golf Digest was publishing what's called the Masters Journal. It's beautiful. I wouldn't even call it a magazine. It's kind of half book, half magazine. It's a beautiful publication for every year for the Masters. And I would go there on a special assignment for Golf Digest and Augusta to shoot certain things that they wanted me to shoot and basically I'd get free reign to go shoot the tournament, whatever I thought was interesting. So that was probably the, the biggest you know assignment I had. You know, I photographed the U.S. Open a couple times, the Ryder Cup, but it's mostly the landscapes that I do. So that, that kind of rolls forward into one of my questions here in terms of, I saw a post um, of yours from a couple of weeks back um, where you said you've shot over 600 courses. Yep. And I don't want you to pick any favorites because I wouldn't do that to you. But maybe of all those places, is there an experience or two, it might be Augusta, which stand out from the others? Hmm. Wow. I guess I could classify them as experiences, courses. Uh, I mean, I've had some you know, amazing experiences, amazing moments. Um, I think of one in particular that happened, uh, it was last summer. It was at Sand Valley up in Wisconsin. And uh, I was there with a gentleman who's a photographer for Sand Valley. He, does, he handles all our social media and online stuff. So he was kind of hanging out with me. And uh, it had been raining, it rained a lot. It had been raining for three straight days. and. It was one day, it had been raining all day, and he said, well, I'm going to go. I said, okay. I said, I'm going to hang out, <laughs> it's just in case. 
And I happened to look on the horizon and I could see that there was a little bit of light, like a little bit of sun. And I thought, you know what? It may come out. <laughs> so I got, I load up the cart. It was raining. I load up the cart, put all my gear and I covered it all up because it was raining. I put these little, you know, little, whatever, the little plastic things down on the side of the cart and drove out in the pouring rain and waited out there in the rain. And the sun came out. Not for long, but it was, it was amazing. It, the light was amazing, the cloud, the sky, the cloud formations. And it only lasted maybe 15 minutes, and then I came back in. But it was well worth doing that. And I've had a few moments like that at certain courses. I had one at Pebble Beach like that. You know, there's these moments where you go out and you think nothing's going to happen. And it happens a lot around here. Yeah, you've been here in Waterville for the last nine, ten days. Yes. And you've had possibly, I would describe it as pretty Irish weather yeah. for the past week. <laughs> yeah. And that kind of rolls on to another question I have is, granted, you might get that 10 or 15 minute window. How do you know or what is your approach to getting to that part of the course and knowing yeah. which position to be on to execute you, um, on one level, you don't. It's a guess, but it's an educated guess. Because I've, if I've done my homework, like I've scouted the course, and I kind of have a sense of, all right, the sun rises here, the sun sets here, this hole might photograph well in the morning, this one might photograph well in the afternoon. Well, this one's maybe a little bit earlier afternoon than the other one. Um, it really is a guess. For instance, the other day, was sun oh, was at uh, was Tuesday, Wednesday maybe here it had been raining all day cloudy rainy windy and I looked out and there was a little break of light and I watched it and I said eh, I'm not sure the sun's gonna come out based on the last few days and the next thing you know the skies opened up we ran out the front door <laughs> I mean literally <laughs> we we spun the tires in the parking lot here. And the, the people hear me. You were a little bit of a hurry. They made a little comment. We tore out the driveway down the road to Waterville, which, you know, it's only five minutes. Hopped in a car, ran out to the 17th hole because I knew from experience of being here that late in the day, the light on that hole was great. So I thought, okay, if the sun's only coming out for two minutes, I'm going out there. And sometimes you guess right and sometimes you don't. But you know, it's kind of, it's you know, from years of experience or scouting, of course, you just, you have a sense of that. Okay. And you know, it's not always, you know, <laughs> sometimes you guess wrong. I, I'm doing a lot of guessing wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we spoke about, you spoke about there about experience and doing the groundwork, walking the course, I'd imagine, maybe playing a couple of golf shots on the way, given your prowess of playing the actual mm -hmm. game. How important and this is where I picked up my first camera last year, mm. spent a lot of time choosing. So how important is the equipment versus the knowledge and experience of actually using said equipment? Yeah. There's a lot of good equipment out there now. And, you know, you don't have to spend necessarily thousands of dollars to get a good camera. Uh, you might have to to get a decent drone. <laughs> But even at that, you can, you know, for a couple thousand, you can probably get a pretty nice one. Um, so even, you know, for not spending a thousand dollars, you know, thousands of dollars, you can still get a nice camera. Um, and if you're facile in, you know, post-production with Photoshop or Lightroom or something like that, you can make your photos look pretty nice. 
So I would say the the experience, the knowledge, the insights to golf course photography are are important. You know, maybe more important than the, the equipment you use. I don't know. I mean, I've seen some pretty nice photos with phones. <laughs> so I I think, you know, I get asked all the time. You know, what should I? Give me some tips on you know what I should do. And um, there was one photographer who was a friend of mine said to me one time, he said, you're responsible for everything in that frame. Pay attention to it and make it interesting. So I took that to heart and I've always, when I've photographed a scene, I've always kind of looked at everything. You know, you look at all four, lots of times people just look in the middle, <laughs> but they don't, you know, but take into account all four corners, the sides, you know, is it kind of have a nice flow to it? Is it interesting? You know, if you stand in the middle of a fairway and you take a photo with your camera, you're going to get most of the frames going to be fairway. So even clawing up on a hill or a mound makes it a little more interesting. Like behind the green, crawl up on a mound or like get on a ladder or use a drone. It makes a huge difference. No, big time. On the back of that equipment question, hmm. right, what parallels can you draw or would you draw between photography or golf photography and golf itself hmm. I've been around golf for a long time so I have a real a pretty decent sense of the game you know the flow of the game the courses the play you know uh, some sense you know the architecture what architect had in mind um, so it really helps when photographing to have you know play golf to get a sense of the flow of a hole or how what an architect intended or just I think over years like I can go on a golf course and take a ride around right now and I can pretty much remember every hole and I don't think somebody who hasn't somebody who has not been around the game may not be able to do that so that's from years of experience being around golf so I think it's helped in that regard and you know, I've been to courses and you know that I talked to the superintendent and he said you've been one here one day how do you know the course so well? I said, well, it's my job. <laughs> and I've been around golf my whole life so, and play golf. So I have, a, you know, I have a sense for stuff like that. You know, but if I walked into some ever in, other endeavor, like I walked into a doctor's office and, you know, and asked, you know, walked through the office and he asked me, what did you see? I went, I don't know, so a bunch of tables and equipment. He could probably describe it a lot more detail than I could. Of all the golf courses you've been to and projects you've been on, hmm. Was there any one or maybe two that made you nervous about shooting them with all that experience you have? Yeah. <clears throat> I remember the first time I went to the Masters. That'd do it. Because <laughs> <laughs> there do it. was, uh, I knew some people at Golf Digest and they were looking for somebody to do this special assignment at the Masters. And uh, my buddy, Mike Johnson, who's their equipment editor, said to uh, the gentleman who publishes the master's journal he says you should hire this guy so he called me well Mike called me because you're going to get a call to go to the master's and I remember it was a okay and then when he asked me and they said yeah we want you to do this be there Monday morning first thing and we sat down and we start talking he showed me the magazine and he started showing me all the stuff that he wanted me to do and I was like whoa and I looked at this is the masters, you know. I mean, I'm sure it's not too dissimilar from somebody who walks through, you know, goes down Magnolia Lane for the first time. You, you know, it's, it was, uh, yeah, I was a little nervous. 
No, I've, I've been nervous <laughs> even getting on the plane I uh, go, attending the tournament. I just didn't want to screw up. I said, I don't want to step out of line. You know, it's like all these rules, which can and can't do. And it's an it's amazing place. But it, uh, yeah, I think after about two or three days, I was okay. In, in photography or, or even golfing photography circles, like I mentioned already, I look at your good self, mm. Hafer, Oli Negriero, Stuart Kerr, and our own Kevin Markham here in mm-hmm. Ireland. Yep. But who would have been, I suppose, your photography mentor or whose work would you would you like following? Hmm. I, don't a, I don't know if I had a, a, a mentor, but I've always um, I've always admired David Cannon's work. I just thought he did some, you know, across the spectrum from his uh, tournament photography to his landscape photography. I just thought he just was really well-rounded and the stuff. I was, I always looked at his tournament photography and he just always seemed to capture his wonderful moments. And even, you know, his landscape photography of golf courses I thought was really nice. The golf shots calendar yes. is, is, is truly a work of art, if you ask me. And I've only seen it online. I've not even seen it in, the, in person yet. Um, but what inspired you to release your own publication, your own your own calendar? Yeah, it's uh, a good question. I was um, speaking to a gentleman who publishes the Jack Nicholas calendar, Larry Hasek, and I had contributed some photos. I've been contributing photos to the Jack Nicholas calendar for years, and Larry and I were talking on the phone, and. Um, I think, I don't know if it was me or him, I had mentioned something about doing a calendar. And I said, yeah, I'd like to do a calendar someday. And he said, I'd help you. I'll help you get it started. I went, okay. And I thought, you guys, you want to do one this year? I mean, for next year. I think it was 2009. I went, and it was July. And I thought, do we have enough time? He goes, yeah, it's a little late, but uh, okay. He says, well, here's what you got to do. Get a photo, you want to be in the cover which happened to be Bally Bunyan. First calendar cover was Bally Bunyan, the 15th hole. And he said, first you get a cover, get a photo for the cover and I'll design the cover for you. And then we can go from there. Uh, and that's how it got started. I said, well, how am I gonna sell these things? <laughs> so uh, he says, you know, do you, he said, do you have any clients who you think, he says, the best way to do it is pre-sell them. You know, find some clients who wanna buy a bunch of them. You know, maybe they put a little, their little logo or little uh, emblem on the bottom and they give it out to the client. So that's how it kind of, that's how it got started. So we're trying to get you some calendars to have to be shipped to Ireland or there is about 90 or 100 people in the States listening. So there might be an extra 100 to go. So what, can you give us any type of heads up of what to expect for the 2020 calendar or? Yeah, it's in fact, we were just working on it the other day. It's in the process. Uh, It'll be available to ship if I'm lucky in October more likely in November uh, let's see uh, Bally Bunyan is going to be in it again from Ireland excellent excellent choice <laughs> yeah. uh, on the cover is a shot I took of uh, the 11th hole at a golf course in Cabo called Twin Dolphin it was designed by Ted uh, Ted, Todd Eckenrode and Fred Couples it was uh, this amazing morning this is par 3 he hit over a uh, an arroyo, uh, so that'll be on the cover. Um, Bally Bunyan's going to be in there, and there might be one from this trip in there. 
not gonna say what. But no, that's maybe. okay. That's okay. Leave some. No, what did they call it? Leave some yeah. trepidation about what's going to be and in there's, it. There's okay. uh, with each month on the day pad. There's a little section. You know, in addition to the little boxes with the dates, there's a little section called about the course where they, you know, I'll get some information from the course. They write about the course, the resort. But this year, I've enlisted some of the golf course architects who are going to write about the specific photos. And there's going to be one in there from hopefully Tom Dope, Bill Core. So excellent. There'll be some good stuff in there. I'll, I'll stock up and use them as gifts. Yeah. Excellent. So pa- part of this show is we get some listener questions. So normally it's at a segment afterwards and I do it in post and I put them all together and I just talk okay. about them. But I said, given who's we're here today, I'd get ahead of the curve. So I have a couple here. One is from my good buddy of mine that I met on a, in California at uh, Jed Sprague. So he says, ask Evan whether he prefers manual or autofocus when shooting landscape scenes. So manual or autofocus mm, for Jed. Ma- come on, Jed, it's basic, manual all the way. Manual. But he, he backed it up with, what is your preferred focal length? Uh, who depends. Uh, but I, I give you a range. <laughs> it's probably, I would say, in the range of 35 to 90 or 100. Okay. I really do 35, it's more, now what? Now that I'm, I use shoot medium format, so 35 focal length at 35 with a medium format is I think more like 24 with a 35 millimeter. So I'm speaking in terms of medium format versus mm-hmm. it's a little different. And you know, like with the the camera I have on my drone, the I have a 50 millimeter lens, which I think the equivalent of 35 millimeter is a hundred. Okay. Since you mentioned drone, this is a question, and it's a question I go to with my wife about every three or four months. Why would you buy a drone in the first place? Boys and their toys. No. Um. There you go, Sheens. <laughs> That's why I want one. That's why I need one. <laughs> um, it had in the past. I I always thought it was good to get a little bit of elevation to photograph golf courses, even if it was 10, 12, 15 feet, sometimes higher. So I thought you could just see the golf holes better that way. You could see the definition, you could see the bunkers, things like that. And then you used to have to use a lift that you, you know, on a, was pull around on John Deere, these really big ones that were moving really slow. You had to maneuver those around a golf course. And generally you can only keep it on the cart path or hard surface. You know, maybe in the rough it was hard. Um, but it was tedious dragging that stuff around a golf course. And then drones came along it was changed the game like all of a sudden or sometimes they'd use helicopters but they're pretty expensive but drones came along it completely changed the game so now i have the benefit i have a helicopter a lift and then some all in one (laughs) where i can get to spots that i couldn't get to previously you know i i recall in the past being on a golf course and you know i'm like here at waterville standing on some dune wishing, like, God, if I could get back over there, you know, like 50 feet back over, but up about 25 feet over that little lake over there or that little ditch, but I couldn't get over there and I can't fly a helicopter there. So it's, it's completely changed the game as to the perspectives, the angles, the heights that you can take photos from, which gives you so many more options when photographing the golf course and it's all in your hands. You don't have to rely on a helicopter. You don't have to rely on some guy dragging, you know, pulling the lift around a golf course. 
you know, if I want to photograph like the the fourth hole, here's a par three right along the estuary. You know, I could I took it at different angles from behind the green, or I showed some of the estuary a little less of it, a little higher, a little lower. Uh, so you could do that in the past. It's been a game changer. I'm getting one. <laughs> Simple. You heard it here first. And they're fun to fly. <laughs> that kind of answers at left or left Neb's question, but he had a backup one in terms of: Do you prefer sunrise or sunset? I don't know. It depends. It. I don't really. I wouldn't say. I definitely prefer sunset or sunrise. It really depends on the golf course and where you are. In the world. It's, yeah, in the world, <laughs> what golf course? You know. It depends on the the light. You know. You know. You can get a cloudy foggy moody morning sun sunrise is really cool you know whereas like the other day uh was in the afternoon or morning i don't remember just a shower came across the bay and you know we went for cover and we came out and there was this amazing rainbow was <laughs> that was you know towards sunset mm -hmm. so it really depends on comfort asks and you probably get this asked all the time and we kind of covered it a bit but you may say it again what is your best tips for taking good photos hmm um, it's funny, I was on a thing the other day and somebody asked the same, same, basically the same question. Um, I'm going to answer that. What, what one, one guy said, he's actually reported back on the, the conversation. He said, after the conversation we had, I've paid more attention to my surroundings and I've paid more attention to the framing of my photos and what's in it. You know, what's in the foreground, what's in the distance, how much sky versus how much land. You know, there's, in photography terms, there's this rule of thirds. I don't always adhere to it, but, you know, we have like, uh, the sky is only a third of the photo. But it's, that's not, I'm, to me, it's not a hard and fast rule. But I think it's just the, you know, the amount of sky versus the land, you know, what's in the foreground what's on the sides, you know, is, is the frame interesting? Uh, I think it's always good to get a little bit of elevation. Crawl up on a mound, I crawl up on a ladder, I have the, you know, I have the benefit of the drone. You know, like on the 15th hole here, there's a big, huge mound, dune on the left side. You crawl up that, you look down, it's a great view of the, great view of the green. I mean, you've got built-in ladders out here, you know, with all the dunes, you know, like Mulcahy's Peak at Waterville. Yeah. It's just, you know, amazing. Um, you know, over here at Hogshead, he, I had, you know, relied more on the drone to get me to certain spots. But getting elevation is always good. Even if you crawl on the back of a cart. Um, there was a, uh, a guy the other week who posted a photo and said, what do you, you know, what do you think of this? And I said, look at the, I said, look at the percentage, look at the photo. And I said, look at what percentage of the photo was fairway and what percentage of the photo because he said i wanted to accentuate the mountains it was uh it was a shot in um I'm trying to remember where it was anyway he wanted to accentuate it was in oh it was in oregon he wanted to accentuate the mountains but you barely see the mountain most of the most of the shot was fairway and i actually took the photo and cropped it you know cropped in because mm -hmm. my suggestion was move up there's a it was a bunker up fairway probably a hundred yards i said well you know if you moved up to the bunker and you got up on a ladder and moved a little bit to the right the bunker would be in the foreground and the mountain would be more prominent so i kind of cropped it to show that so i think it's just an awareness of the frame because you're taking as a life you're taking a life-size scene in that you see in three dimensions 
you know, your eye, you've seen three, maybe more, I don't know, you've seen, and then you're taking it and putting it on a phone or you put it on a computer screen and that's only really one dimension. So you're taking a three dimension of the lifestyle scene and putting it down to much, much smaller. So you have to take that into account too, that even though, you know, oh, there's a mountain, it's beautiful. <laughs> but, you know, the fairway took up half, you know, half the frame. And I, don't that, that, I don't know if that answers the question. No, definitely, definitely. Yeah, that's definitely some couple of tips I'd be taking home myself. And then last from the listener's own comfort again, how much, if any work, um, do you do in post-production like Photoshop, Lightroom, or a mobile editing app? Uh, every photo gets edited to some degree. Um, because it never, I shouldn't say never, but the way I shoot it, I mean, I shoot everything in RAW, and I shoot the, most of the photos pretty flat, which means uh, I don't put a lot of the you know, little adjustments like you know landscape. Right? I want it pretty flat. So what it keeps is it keeps most of the information so that I can bring it out and post. So sometimes you look at my photos, they look when they come out of the camera, look pretty bland, which is intentional because it retains more of the information so then I can pull it out and post. So all, every photo gets some kind of editing in, in uh, post, whether it's you know, adjusting color and contrast, uh, lightening something, darkening something, you know, taking out divots, people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's that's something I learned in photography and I'm only one year in versus your um, more experienced career, we'll call it, is that some cameras, depending on the settings, even your phone, come with a preordained filter yeah. and that's what they shoot in. Yeah. So you have to manually change it to raw so i shoot in raw slash jpeg so i kind of get the best of both worlds um and raw for people who are, who are listening to this for the gags and not for the photography info raw is like um shooting gray but all the data stays in it that's how yeah. i can explain it yeah. so all the data is in the file format and then yep. you can you you're more bandwidth for for change which you need yeah. to change afterwards you shoot it in jpeg it's compressed which if you actually look close you i've taken pictures in raw and JPEG, you look at them closely, you zoom, you know, you zoom in on it, you can see the difference. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the JPEG is oftentimes much more pixelated, you don't have the detail, the highlights can get, or the shadows can get blocked up, highlights can get blown out much easier. So shoot raw, folks. Shoot raw. Shoot if raw. You, if you have the ability to work in post-production, you know, but, you know, on your phone, <laughs> but you can always, you know, you can always adjust it afterwards in your phone correct which is what i do <laughs> same <laughs> we'll exchange apps afterwards yeah, yeah. um thanks for your time i can see some light coming up outside so i'm conscious of the fact you might be wanting to fire up that inspire drone so everyone who comes on the show yeah he's having a look um i put his back to the window <laughs> on purpose here so yeah, everyone who comes on the show is subject to a quick fire q a which a signifies the we're coming to an end here and B okay. whatever comes into your mind is the answer okay oh okay. good so are you ready I'm ready okay what would your walk on song be oh boy um we are the champions <laughs> Jim or pizza Jim hat visor or bucket hat which would you choose hat happy Gilmore or tin cup uh, happy Gilmore Guinness or Heineken Guinness Le Hinch or Port Marnock? Le Hinch. Walk or cart? Walk. Win the Masters or win the Open? Masters. Would you rather drive it like Dustin Johnson or Zach Johnson? Dustin Johnson. 
Instagram or Twitter? Instagram. Play or practice? Play. Thank you again for risking some perfect light conditions and spending some time with me here this morning in Waterville House down here uh, on the Ring of Kerry. Have a safe trip back home tomorrow, Evan. Thanks a million for your time and we'll talk again soon. Really great. Thank you very much. That was Evan Schiller. If you're still listening, make sure you check out his website and the upcoming Godshot calendar for 2020. I know I'll be stocking up. Details for all of his social media and websites is down below in the show description. On next week's show, we have a director of golf from one of the most idyllic inland courses here in Ireland. Can you guess where? Let me know on at Paddy underscore golf on Instagram and Twitter. Thanks, folks, for getting involved and your questions this week. Keep them coming. Hit the show a follow. Give it a five-star rating and review it if that's your style. Most of all, please share the show with your family and golfing friends and friends alike. Thank you for pressing play. Until we tee up again soon, I'm Paddy. Paddy.